In Revelation 6, we are told of heavenly beasts that are obviously not bipedal or human in appearance, but are before the throne of God in worship. They are obviously sentient, intelligent beings, but not human or bipedal. With all of this evidence, it can be said with confidence that angels are physical beings. This technological future that we're heading for, which some people call transhumanism, is absolutely wonderful because we're heading towards a kind of physical immortality where we can, just using technology, go on forever. If someone wants evidence that this is a reality, this is not something you manifest after a hallucination or a fantasy. This is a real, tangible way that people change after their experiences. Dr. Boylan talks about the star child of both human and extraterrestrial origin. And a lot of my research is indicating that not only are we a hybrid species, but some of us actually have um, a number of different kinds of DNA, not just human, not just potentially gray or zeta, but sometimes those called manta, which is the insect-like beings, and possibly many, many others. And that is what they're told on the cross. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And I'm Gons, and we have a very interesting show for you today. We have a guest uh, who's the author of a fictional book for children called Children of Angels, book one of the Nephilim series. But before we get to that... Yes, before we get to that, last... uh Last episode, we mentioned that we have a new voicemail service on the website, canarycryradio.com, and we encouraged everyone here to go there and leave us a little message, whether it's uh, songs of praise or hymns of disaster. And uh, so a couple of you did that, and we are very grateful that you did. And as promised, well, we didn't promise, but as we mentioned uh, we will play a couple of those voicemails right now, uh, mostly because they're very flattering to Gons and myself. Yeah, we, so, we need a little bit of a, a boost in ego here to, right. to so carry this is, on. This is, us, this is us feeling good about ourselves. This first one's from Pat. Take it away, Pat. Hi, Basil and Gons. Um, I just think it's really cool that the Lord brought you guys together at your work and that you're able to do these programs that my husband and I enjoy very much listening to. And we just wanted to say God bless you in your endeavors, and have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat. That's Thank very you, nice. Pat. You sound like a nice lady, and we are so grateful that you and your husband um, enjoy the show and that you cared so much about us on a personal level to leave us a voicemail, and um, God bless you. Our next voicemailer is Mr. L. Hello, Basil and Gons. My name is Mr. L, also known as faithinyeshua.com or something similar. I am calling you to address the podcast on Mr. M. It was exceptional. I don't want to sensationalize the issue, but it was very good. Thank you for the time you are putting into your podcast. I appreciate it, and I'm sure many others appreciate it, too. If that is you calling, don't bother. I will send this 
within five, four, three, two, one second. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mr. L, uh, that wasn't me calling you, and I don't think Gans has long distance. Um, so thank you so much that for was your great. kind words. I, love I think that. Mr. L is, he's either a robot or doing very well in his English as a second language lessons. And if he was um, a robot, way. then he, you know, that's, that was his first test run of the download, the English download. Right. Well, I guess if he was a robot, English would be his second language anyways, because, binary. you know, binary would be his first. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> again, thank you, Mr. L. That was definitely an entertaining piece of vocal artistry that you've given us. <laughs> and for the rest of you, go to canarycryradio.com and look at the tab there on the right-hand side of your page and leave us a message. And it doesn't have to be singing praises to me and Gans. You could also... Um, just give us some deep thoughts or, uh, you know, ask us out on a date or something like that. Uh, ask Basil out on a date. Me, I, just I'm, me. I'm, I'm taken. I'm sorry. Right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> just me, ladies. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> moving on, we'd like to thank the few of you, the very special few of you who have gone to our support page at canarycryradio.com and committed to helping us out with a monthly support package there. Yes. And to the to the rest of you, it's still there. I know you're on the fence and I know you're wondering uh, if Canary Cry Radio is really worth it. And so I would just beseech you to continue praying about that and you can go there uh, as little as $5 a month all the way up to uh, your entire savings account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know if if canary cry radio oh, adds boy. anything to your life uh you can just go there and help us out or if commitment's not your thing you can also go ahead and give us a one-time gift there on that page as well either way we thank you very much and hope you enjoy canary cry radio as much as we enjoy making it and without further ado here's katherine dalstrom a b c d e f g that's pretty good. Yeah, no, keep going though. I want to hear this. See where it goes. Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Just kidding. Okay, very nice. That was beautiful. Uh, that's good enough for me. Is that good enough for you? It sounds like we got a little bit of delay, but we'll just remember that as we speak. Gone. Perfect. Mainly you and me. Yep. She's the author of a book that was an honorable mention for the Hollywood Book Festival. And it's entitled Children of Angels, Book One of the Nephilim Series. And it's Catherine Dahlstrom. Hey, Catherine, how you doing? Doing really well. <laughs> well, good. We're so happy to have you on the show here, Mix Up the Gender. So let's sort of jump right in. We have, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we can talk a little bit about what led you to write the book, Children of Angels. I've been an author for 22 years uh, my goal has always been to write stories that glorify the Lord Jesus, that draw people closer to God. Uh, I have an absolute love of fantasy, but interestingly enough, the first books that I had published were based on the work I did as an inner city ministry with Child Evangelism Fellowship back in the 1990s in Los Angeles. 
I taught a good news club at Jordan Downs Housing Project in Watts, Los Angeles. That's like bringing a Bible Sunday school class to kids. And I did it in the inner city because my husband and I were out in Los Angeles for five years. He had a work assignment out there, and I followed God's call to minister to those kids. And I let their composite personalities become the main characters in an adventure fiction series that I did published by Child Evangelism Fellowship Press called the Good News Club series. And the reason that I wrote it is because editors at the major Christian conferences for writers that I was attending were saying, someone writes stories with uh, non-suburban Caucasian kids as the main characters. We've got a plethora of nice you know, neighborhood kids stories. Give us something set in the inner city with Hispanic and African-American children as the main characters. And I'm going, yeah, right, I'm from Minnesota, and I could really do it. But I just went, Lord, all right, I'm ministering in the inner city. I asked for his help, started to uh, take as much dictation as I could to learn inner city dialect, and wrote these six books, again, published by uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship Press, that were not my first love fantasy, but because... Watts is certainly not ordinary life. I was able to really enjoy writing that series and really uh, cut my teeth on, on becoming an author. So that was how I got started, along with articles and short stories. Uh, those books are still in print, uh, are available. They're out of print now, but they are available on Amazon and uh, other places. So I've been really gratified to have those uh, reach about 50,000 children. So. so you have six books out before this one, what is, what's the name of those? The series is called The Good News Club. Uh, I can list the six titles if you'd like. The first one is called oh. Peppy's Rescue. Uh, anyway, and I won't list all six of those. But again, the series is called The Good News Club series. So. I see. Well, very cool. So did, did those books or did that experience transfer over into uh, Children of Angels at all? Or did he use, use any... Um, influences from that or is children of angels kind of a whole new uh piece for you again my first love has always been fantasy so when i had a chance to turn to it and start to write it and i'll tell you the story of how the lord allowed me to actually come up with the storyline for children of angels uh, uh in a little while but um as i started writing first love I realized that I could take elements of the Good News Club series and bring them into my fantasy, and that is because I've gotten to know inner-city children so well, and I've captured correct African-American dialect, correct Hispanic dialect. I was able to take uh, characters from my uh, first series and kind of transfer them into characters in this series so that I do have an African-American girl who's a big part of this fantasy, and I do have a Hispanic boy that's that's part of this uh, series as well. So I'm really glad that I've had that experience with creating characters that are a little different than uh, especially Christian kids are used to reading about. So anyway, kind of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very cool. That's cool that uh, you got that experience, and later in life it has helped you out so much. So before we get too far into it, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about the story and the plot and the characters of Children of Angels. It's this fantasy premise, and I know this, 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 this is a key word with you guys and with your listeners. I basically took the make-believe idea that the Lord 
basically hit me with like a bolt of lightning because um, I would actually cried out so hard to him and asked him for a fresh fantasy idea. So here's the premise. What if the DNA of the Nephilim, those ancient beings born of, of angels and women, resurfaced in a few young teens of today and they developed angel powers. Again, I was trying to come up with a fresh fantasy concept. I was uh, branching into uh, the whole screenwriting realm because I wanted to see uh, my books possibly turned into film and realized who would be the best person to adapt my books and do a screenplay. Well, why not me, myself? Uh, so I studied the art of screenwriting in taking a really high-level course taught by producer Hal Crowsman called the Pro Series, I needed an idea for a blockbuster, and that's when I brought my request, you know, begged the Lord for a, a really great idea and pondered, what is a fantasy concept that hasn't been done yet? Are we uh, uh, getting tired of vampires yet? <laughs> right. There are millions of, yeah, oh, you know. Um, and, you know, the whole medieval uh, a fantasy realm has, has been done wonderfully, but done a whole lot. Dragons, there are millions of dragon stories, and I don't mean to be belittling anyone who's done any stories like that, or stories where children or young people or the, the main characters in a story leave our earth and enter into another realm. Um, I was looking for something that no one had done yet, and so the obvious answer was angels. But I could not make an angel a main character. Angels don't got angst. Um, you know, I, no matter what else has been done about them in, on television and, and in movies, I wanted to capture real biblical angels. And they know what they're about. They do not have self, self-esteem problems or self-image problems. They don't know what they're supposed to be. You know, they don't ask themselves what they're supposed to be doing. So not a, not a good main character uh, for a novel. I needed someone human and... and and then the Lord gave me one word for how I could solve the idea of how could I could have a human being have angel powers. The Nephilim. And I took off from, that at, from there at that point. So that's how the Lord gave me the idea. I took it through this screenwriting course. And uh, it's turned into uh, my first uh, book of the new Nephilim series called Children of Angels. And it's been getting tremendous uh, uh, reviews from people. Uh, Kids love it. College kids are really enjoying it. Moms are really liking it. So teenagers are liking it. So I'm, again, praise God for all. Yeah, that's great. Um, just uh, just to for our audience to to get a clear understanding. So your main character is the son or or, or child is half angel, half human. Yes, and. Part of the mystery of the story is, and again, this is the make-believe element, um, my main character, Jeremy, suddenly develops these angel powers and has to figure out why, what has happened to him, and why are there only a few other young teens like him suddenly developing these powers. Again, I do this whole playing around with somehow Nephilim DNA winds up in these kids and the first thing they have to do is figure out how did they get this Nephilim DNA and whenever you're writing a story especially for my core reading group of 10 to 14 year olds you always want to include a bit of a mystery if you can and so the first thing that the readers 
are solving right along with the main characters is, first of all, how did they get this DNA? How did it wind up inside them? Why has it fired suddenly now? Why are all these things happening? So <laughs> That's interesting. interesting. And, and I assume mm-hmm. that's a, a mystery that will last throughout the rest of the series, so we don't get to learn the secret right now. Uh, no, actually, that gets answered about halfway through the first book. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> with 10 to 14-year-olds, you can't keep the mystery going for too long or you'll make them angry. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was already getting anxious just thinking about it. Yeah. Good, yes, yes. The uh, that's the idea. You know, there, there are other things they need to solve, but in this case, no. Uh, and I don't want to tell too much about the book for uh, anyone who wants to read it, but uh, I can say enough uh, of this. Uh, they all discover that the one similar characteristic they all have is they had one grandparent who was a prisoner of the Nazis in World War II. <laughs> wow. Interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> oh, that adds a nice little twist yeah. in there. Now, so. <laughs> whoa. Yes. Um, so <laughs> in our study and, and a lot of our listeners and, you know, we've, we've interviewed people like Dr. Michael Heiser and, and several other people who have yes. looked into this topic of Genesis 6 because it is a topic that mm-hmm. is, you know, it's, I guess, rediscovered recently. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. been in the Bible the whole time and, uh, you know, until the fifth century, there was a, a pretty a consistent view of what happened there um, until, you know, Augustine came in and sort of made his right. own theology and, and changed everything. And we've sort of been under that veil. Uh, but mm-hmm. to my understanding, um, you know, the Nephilim are never really a good thing in the Bible. You know, the, the reason why <laughs> uh, God flooded the earth was because of the Nephilim mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, all flesh becoming corrupt and, you know, that grieved God's heart and things like that. So I'm just curious, you know, have you looked into that line of study and, and how would you answer some of those, uh, I guess, the critics that would bring up this, this uh, concept of, hey, uh, you know, this idea of making the Nephilim into the hero of a story doesn't necessarily line up with what, uh, you know, what we're starting to discover with a lot of the pieces about the Nephilim in the Old Testament and uh, even right. in prophecy. And I've encountered people. I've been able to talk to people, and I've been getting emails and things like that. And uh, my viewpoint was, absolutely, the DNA Nephilim uh, is corrupt. They're they're half human. <laughs> so, first of all, um, any, any human being needs redemption, uh, which is what Jesus came uh, to bring to the world. So, uh, and the whole idea that... Uh, it was either fallen angels who, who you know, made women, you know, pregnant, uh, that kind of thing, uh, may very well be. Um, and I find all of, of, I've been looking over Steve Quayle and Jason Hendricks' concepts and, and other people and, and fascinated with what the Lord will allow me to, to add to uh, other parts of the, you know, other books of the series as I go. But basically, all I did was look at, DNA uh, to me is is neither going to be uh, evil or good. It's whatever whatever a human being chooses to do with the genetics that they have been given. Uh, so, do we know that the ancient Nephilim were evil because possibly they were half demon, or or 
could they have been half angel and the human side of them chose to be evil because what would you do if you were 15 feet tall and could lift almost 2,000 pounds and, and could have absolute domination over everyone around you? Well, absolute power corrupts. And so uh, the question of, of the ancient Nephilim being evil, uh, I find fascinating, and it probably was so. And, and all I'm doing now is saying, let's just take a, a make-believe, pure make-believe story uh, out of their DNA um, and put it into kids of today. A, a little bit like... Uh, um, what if a young man got bit by a radioactive spider and he develops spider powers that, uh, right, that again, right, we're talking yeah. make-believe here. So. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that brings up a good point about, um, you know, ha uh, having a choice to repent or having a choice, you know, making good choices with what we're given. And, um, you know, kind of continues the conversation of, uh, you know, can we all just go ahead and do the best we can with what we got? And if we're serving the Lord and, and you know, doing right, then it may not matter where we come from or what our DNA is or whatnot. So I could see how that would be a good message for kids to get out of the series as well. I've been able to really calm down, especially uh, critics will, you know, uh, for example, I'll be at trade shows or book festivals and I'll have someone come up and, and they can be quite upset. And I, I uh, stay very calm and, and actually quietly find the whole thing a little bit amusing, uh, you know, because to me, this is it's make believe guys work with me here. <laughs> you know, like right. I said, it, it's I had one one. I, I got a very angry email from someone saying there's no way that God would allow a human being to have angel powers and and my gentle answer was well oh i absolutely completely agree with you that that there's no way that a human being would have angel powers and there's also no way that children could ever find their way into a uh magical country where an, where animals can speak and and the trees uh can actually take human form once in a while you know getting there right. through a, a wardrobe so so yeah. again it's the whole thing of make believe let yourself Enjoy the gift of imagination that God has given you the way kids do. Kids have no problems at all understanding that my story is completely make-believe, and they're perfectly willing to go with it. They dive right in, have no problems with believability or questioning, uh, uh, you know, is, is this scriptural or anything like that. Uh, they also readily go along with me in grasping the deeper themes, the truth that I put into my make-believe, and that is that Jesus can take a seventh-grade loser and turn him into a mighty warrior. When right. uh, my main character comes to know the love of Jesus and chooses to serve him with his whole being, the Lord then brings him from being a picked-on, bullied seventh-grader to a warrior who can battle demons face-to-face -face with swords uh, and with, with the heavenly weapons that God has given him. So. You mentioned that you had come in contact with a lot of critics, and uh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense considering the, uh, you know, the, the theology and the biblical uh, accounts around that. And, but, so when you had this idea for the Nephilim, how much did you know about the Nephilim before you started the project and how much kind of came as you went or how much are you going to use in, in the, the next books of the series now that you learn more from all these, you know, people, I'm sure, oh. writing you lengthy emails about it. Yeah. 
Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, all I knew about them uh, at first, when, when the Lord hit me with the idea that I could turn into a screenplay to take again through this high-level screenwriting course that I was taking, was what I read in Genesis 6, and I took that at face value, that uh, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, and they were the heroes of old men of renown. And the word heroes, I've seen the New International Version, and I looked in the New American Standard, and they used the word uh, mighty men. I think King James uses the word mighty men. And, and Scripture even says that, they, that the, uh, in verse 1 of Genesis 6, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them. And I don't know if... That, you know, the biblical writer at the time was a little squeamish or something, <laughs> used the word married, but, but I only knew what I was reading, uh, you know, right there in, in the way scripture worded it, especially in the, in the New International Version. Right. Uh, then I began to research, I knew I'd need to be careful. I, need, I was beginning to get inklings from people where the Nephilim were, were utterly evil, so I began to research them, and this was well after I'd uh, gotten into the story, and I didn't worry about what I saw about the possibility of them being evil because I knew that the heart of my story was doing a, a make-believe, you know, play around with DNA. And so I, I, I really, at that point, didn't care too much whether the what the ancient Nephilim were like or not because they really don't figure in the story. What figures in is their DNA appearing in kids of today. So that's so what has been important about research now. Uh, so I wrote the whole uh, book without researching uh, a lot of what uh, the modern uh, scholars are saying. You know, but I really enjoyed researching in depth a little bit later uh, to find out, for example, uh, from, uh, was it Jason Hendricks who has dealt with the book about, uh, did a study on the book of Enoch, is that right? Um, anyways, I was researching these experts. Uh, I was fascinated to see that there are some theories, especially in the book in, of Enoch, that states that it may not have been demons who got women pregnant, but true angels who cross boundaries that they shouldn't and were therefore banished into darkness for it. And, and I've realized, imagine the pain that would cause within, within angels. They must be as close as brothers or closer. And imagine the ripples of pain that would send through heaven. And so I would like to deal a little bit with my main character realizing that there is a core of pain within within the angels that he has come to know and fight with shoulder to shoulder, he's drawn as close to them as brothers himself and realizes they're all hurting. They're all grieving because some of them chose to do this thing. It was a completely disobeying God. And uh, so that their brethren have been banished to hell for it. And I'll be dealing with the whole concept of the Lord's redemption. I'm not going to dare to try to say that the Lord would you know, redeem an angel. Scripture only says the, that right now that what I read in the, in the Word is that the Lord came to save humans. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, so I'll have my main character really in, encounter his need for redemption and the wonder of the Lord's love saving him from sin that he'll choose to do. Uh, but also I can really deal with, that had to hurt. Imagine how badly that had to hurt. Uh, right. uh, angels went some of their kind did that so 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you're clarifying and sort of, I guess, just giving a, a clearer understanding. Cause I think the initial reaction to, you know, my, the hero of my story for a children's book is a Nephilim. You know, it, obviously if, if anyone knows about the Nephilim, it doesn't, it makes it sound like, wait, what are you doing? You know, type reaction. Mm -hmm. But um, it's actually, I think it's actually, a, you know, now that you're sort of describing it, it's starting to make a little bit of sense um, and, and sort of the creative freedoms that, that you're, you're taking. Uh, the word for mighty men um, in the Hebrew is Giborim. And um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've come across this at some point. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting because somebody like Nimrod was called the Giborim. You know, Nimrod who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tried to build the Tower of Babel and things like that. Uh, but yeah. also, it's not mm -hmm. it's not always a negative connotation. Uh, David is called the, a mighty man, a Gaborim. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it, you, we have to realize that it's not all, you know, it's not all negative there. Um, but, you know, something that I think came to my mind as I was listening to you speak was the fact that you're pointing out this aspect of DNA. And uh, you're really pointing out that it's, you know, this is fiction. And, and, I, and I agree with you. Uh, I guess there's a level of concern when it comes to DNA because of, of some of the things, and I'm sure you've, you've uh, you know, if you've listened to this show and, and our listeners understand that, that, you know, this mm -hmm. is, this is the era we're in. We're in the era of messing with DNA, you know, and a lot of people yeah. bring up, uh, you know, Noah's or I'm sorry, Jesus in Matthew 24 saying as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the son of man be. And a lot of people mm -hmm. attribute that to this possibility that, Hey, we're at an, uh, we're, we're at a place in, in history where we're starting to tinker with our genetics, our DNA. And so, you know, I guess the concern is there. Uh, and somebody like L.A. Marzulli, I, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but nope. he, has, uh, he has theorized that the mark of the beast that so often talked about is actually mm -hmm. going to change the genetic makeup of our bodies and turn us into Nephilim. And he, his logic, wow. yeah, and his logic oh. is that, that there is no grace from God when it comes to Nephilim because you look in the Old Testament, a lot of the, uh, and I think this is a really big topic that, you know, we don't have to necessarily dig into too much, but, you know, most of the, the apologetics surrounding, you know, God telling Israel to wipe out nations doesn't involve the topic of Nephilim, but people like Dr. Michael Heiser and others have really pointed out that, you know, God was telling the Israelites to, to wipe these guys out because they were Nephilim. And mm -hmm. there's no, you know, there isn't, at least in a clear way, any sort of redemptive possibility with the Nephilim. It doesn't seem like it anyway. Um, and it seems mm -hmm. like, you know, as, as far as the mark of the beast, if LA's, L.A. Marzulli's theory is correct, uh, then at, at the point where we become Nephilim, we are actually forfeiting our salvation. So that, you know, that that kind of theology sort of, comes right up against your your sort of premise that what do you say to something like that when you hear something um you know with theories that sort of contradict some of the ideas that you put forth and and does it you know I, i'm sure that you've uh, you know it seems that you've come across people that have you know mm -hmm. uh, attacked your, your theology i've also i've always asked them very gently please read the book and let the holy spirit speak to you and let him let you know if there is any evil uh, within my stories, and 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 you know trust that the Lord will speak to them. Uh, I feel that that anyone, uh, and again, I I'm not uh, what what these theories are talking about could possibly happen in the real world, but because my story is is fantasy, uh, I believe that that any human being who cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Uh, the scripture makes that clear, that, that 
anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, you know, any human being. So uh, that, that is what I'm trying to, to bring across to my young readers is that you call on Jesus and not only will he save you, but he will make you into the best person you can be and that he's got a great purpose for you uh, because he loves you so much. And so that's what I'm saying to, again, my core readers are 10 to 14 right. year olds. And even though I've got a whole lot of adult and college age fans, uh, my first goal is to make it clear to 10 to 14 year olds just how much Jesus loves them and how valuable they are to him and what he can do with any human being who will surrender their lives to him. And so my answer is always, please read the book and, and let the Holy Spirit talk. Uh, and again, the whole worrying about uh, uh, your book may not uh, be at all true uh, reminds me of, uh, I was watching a documentary uh, back, several years ago on the learning channel about the scientific validity of Spider-Man. <laughs> I was, I spent the whole time watching it going, really? <laughs> My favorite part was when, was when they were saying that the scientists were really grousing about the fact that he shouldn't have had his web being shot out of his wrist. Spinnerets should not be located in the wrists. And, and I, I was sitting there going, what was Stan Lee supposed to do? Put slits in Spider-Man's costume and have his, his webbing shoot out from his behind? I mean, let's get, let's, <laughs> let's get practical. So, so, so what I'm really urging people to do is Lighten up! <laughs> Children, you know, Jesus, Jesus made it very clear, and this is, again, something else that I tell people a lot, because I encounter it so much with children. They have no problems separating something that's complete make-believe from something that could possibly be scientific fact or reality or research or anything. When, when something is pure make-believe, they don't mind it, they don't question it, and what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, I think part of our, uh, something that we try to do here at Canary Cry Radio is tell people to lighten up because, you know, there's, there's certain topics that are pretty grim and dark sounding and we don't <laughs> want to sit here and just, you know, beat a dead horse, so to speak. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, you know, because it seems like in your mind, fantasy and reality are completely separated. There are, there's no overlap when it's fantasy, it's fantasy. And, and to an extent, I I'd certainly agree with you uh, because yep, you know, you're yep. not presenting your story as fiction. That's based on reality. It's more like, no, I'm taking creative freedoms to, to allow the story to develop and still, you know, finding a way to glorify the Lord. Now, a couple things come to mind. How does, um, mm -hmm. if you want to, uh, you know, talk about it or you don't have to, if it's, you know, a big, uh, punchline in the story or anything, but how do you work in uh, Jesus into the story? Is he a character? Is he uh, how how is he presented? He is the the Lord of Hosts, and his commands uh, the angels that Jeremy knows, and especially the angel who is closest to him, his guardian angel, and and the angel in charge of training him in how to become a warrior. Uh, uh, Jeremy's angel obeys utterly all commands that the Lord gives, and Jeremy himself experiences the touch of the Lord and, and, and hearing his voice in his mind, the way that all of us human beings will experience Jesus in prayer, and as we draw close to him, he'll warm our hearts 
it's almost as though sometimes you can feel a sense of God's hand, not a physical touch, but his warmth and his power upon you. And I portray Jeremy experiencing that in that there is actually a, a, a golden a glow of light that he can see around himself, that, that his fellow angels, of course, can see as well. Uh, human beings can't see it, but Jeremy himself is aware that when God's hand is on him, uh, especially right before battle, he can see the light of God around him and can feel the Lord's presence and can hear God's voice speaking to him in his mind and through scripture, uh, as I'll be having Jeremy learn uh, scripture later. In this first book, he doesn't know much about Christianity, uh, but as he grows in the Lord, he's also going to be growing in his faith and in his knowledge of God's word. Uh, but he experiences the Lord basically the way any of us Christians do, and that is through prayer, through drawing close to his heart, through the, the touch of God upon him. Uh, so again, I just tried to make Jeremy's relationship with Jesus be as similar as it was for me when I was 12 years old and felt the Lord's presence and felt his, it seemed as though I almost felt his hand upon me. Right. Interesting. Yeah, no, and, and, and I think that's uh, something especially good to hear because, you know, you got a, a mention from the um, Hollywood Book Festival and... Uh, you know, they're not particularly known for liking a straightforward depiction of God and Jesus. And, you know, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories like Narnia and things like that. And even, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings uh, has been said to have these fingers pointing at Jesus or God or spiritual principles, but they're always sort of masked behind these fantastical characters um right and mine is not mine is blatant i mean i it, jeremy cries out to jesus at one point he's 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 had it he's in a whole lot of pain he's been picked on by everyone he's just had one a rotten day uh his angel his brother angel angel is trying to train him in how to use a sword and it's so heavy you can hardly even hold on to it and and he's scared to death he's going to cut his ears off with it and all these things and and he's totally frustrated and he breaks down and and just has this kind of private cry and cries out lord jesus do you love me do you and that's when the lord's warmth and his answer and his, and his love pours down on jeremy and, and you know that's his salvation moment uh and again i that's that's you know that's how it felt for me uh when i first became a, a christian that um so again i was just trying to go with that relationship you know that relational uh aspect of, of knowing jesus uh so again, if that's right. making sense, yeah, it's it's interesting. And again, but very blatant, very blatant Jesus, very blatant Christian conversion there, <laughs> and and I was just amazed and and marveling at how the Lord allowed the Hollywood Book Festival people to pick it for an honorable mention award. Lord, that's just that's that's the parting of the Red Sea as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> God is good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, congratulations on that honorable mention. Now, Thank here's you. something. Just to pick at you just a little bit more about this, and okay. I, this is o this is only because it just okay. it, just to, <laughs> it just to make um, some connections. Now, when the Christian community um, encounters writings like Harry Potter or um, even Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code and things like that, where mm -hmm. there are, um, you know, the whole thing is. 
um, making this fantastic story about, you know, how this kid becomes a wizard and uh, gets all these awesome powers. And then all of a sudden, I'm not allowed to read it when I'm a kid because my mom's worried that I'll want to become a wizard. And uh, with Dan Brown's book, you know, uh, even though it says on the on the opening, you know, inside of the cover that this is a work of fiction, it still led scores of people to, you know, strengthen their uh, arguments against Christianity and and would fight to the death to convince me that you know, Jesus uh, got married and had kids um, because of the book. (laughs) Right. Now, I'm so relieved to hear that you're you're more blatant about, you know, I mean, you're straightforward about Jesus and God and everything in the book. Mm -hmm. However, when the subject of the Nephilim um, comes up, is it a concern that maybe this and especially in the age of transhumanism and, you know, uh, you know, we really are on the cusp of being able to have powers, whether it be genetic or um, mm-hmm. some other means. Are you worried or considered or not worried at all that maybe this might lead kids to seek out um, some of those uh, extra human powers? Not one bit, uh, because I've been talking to kids, and I've gotten to—I've been working. I was a teacher before I became a writer, so that was uh, first of all my foundation of being able to write for kids is because I understand kids, and I'm also a mom. (laughs) So, so I know that children can very readily distinguish between pure make-believe and something that could possibly be something they could attempt. I know very well that, that no kid in his right mind is going to try to, to see if he can gain angel powers in any way. So, I, again, I'm not trying to be mocking of anyone who is worried about that kind of thing. But children are much wiser than people give them credit for. And they are so quick to pick up on, oh, this is just what believe. And, and that still, because there is danger in something like a story like Harry Potter drawing a child possibly into being interested in the occult. I wasn't going to touch anything like that with a 10-foot pole, but instead let my main character have to battle those critters that are behind you called namely demons. So I, I was working very hard to create a fantasy in which none of my readers would be drawn to anything dangerous through my right. books. So, But again, right. you'd be amazed how sharp kids are about these kinds of things. Uh, I also know that the most protective creature on this planet is not a mother grizzly, for example. It's a Christian mom. Um, <laughs> that Christian moms make, make grizzlies look like chihuahuas. Um, and I know because I am one. So uh, you want fiercely protective uh, of anything their children take in or, or see. They especially don't want their children to be drawn to anything that's going to pull them away from Jesus, number one. Number two, they don't want anything that's going to give them nightmares. And so I worked very hard to make my uh, demons and, and to have scare moments in the, in the book that would not give kids nightmares because they're much more like um, bullying lizards or, lar- you know, they're, they're like apes and, and you know, nasty uh, bullies as opposed to slimy, horrible things that could possess people and you know again i know that there are those realities in the demonic realm but think of frank peretti's demons and then take them back about a notch and then you've got mine okay (laughs) (laughs) there you go 
Okay. Well, good. I mean, that's that's interesting, and I know that that can be. I mean, it, it's definitely a hard line to follow, especially um, with anything dealing with the supernatural. You know, uh, depending on who's reading it and their uh, theology, you know, you can almost never do anything right. But right. within the story itself and within the series, you know, uh, you mentioned before that the angels are are very sad about, you know, what their brethren had done and and the coming about of Nephilim. Now is the battle, you know, the inward battle of Nephilim DNA and maybe the history behind that, and maybe um, some ancestral Nephilim, I mean, is that is that sort of a struggle that will come out in the book? Um, no, know, actually, they, the, the fight all, uh, the, the, the core of the fight is this, the human antagonist uh, who really despises Jeremy does so because she's trying to convince the entire world that these kids have got the ability to fly, they can lift the back end, end of a car, they're about three times stronger than a human being, uh, they can pass through walls. They can do, you know, again, just think of things that angels can do. And I, I gave those traits to these kids. She's insisting that uh, they have reached the next level of humanity. Um, and Jeremy and others who believe in, in Jesus uh, within his group, and he has to convince his other Nephilim that, yes, we are part angel. Uh, Jeremy is saying, no, we're, this has nothing to do with with." The next stage of development. Notice I'm I'm avoiding the word evolution. It's, it's very much a, a right. <laughs> I, you know I'm trying to be uh, in my book. You know it's clear that what I'm saying is this woman's saying that these kids got these powers because of they've reached the next level of human development. They've climbed the rung. Um, and Jeremy's going no no we've got DNA Nephilim in us. We're we're F D, uh, uh, Nephilim DNA in us. We're part angel. And so the the battle becomes. And here's the here's the logline of the story. I think that'll that'll help me to put it in a nutshell. Um, a young uh, teen, shocked to learn that he's part angel, must battle human and demonic forces out to destroy him for proving that God is real. So the core conflict is, ah. if you are part angel, you can prove that angels are real just because of your being. Mm. If angels are real, heaven is real. If heaven is real, God is real. Can you imagine the fight that these kids would have on earth if this were to really happen and these kids with their very bodies can prove that angels in heaven and God are real? Imagine the people that would rise up and fight against that. That's the core conflict. Okay? Wow. (laughs) Got it. Got it. It's all coming together now. (laughs) And and it will lead lead to a, a world battle. You know, between the those who don't want to believe in God at all, you know, with demons right. backing them up, and those who do. Okay, so right. <laughs> so I now, hate to tell you this, but but there really isn't a whole lot of conflict about you know there and there the the Nephilim. Um, sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, do you have any perhaps a half demon, half human child? Or, or something to the effect of what, who's the, the, the bad guy? Is there one single uh, villain or is it kind of a, a group of yeah. villains? She is a woman named uh, uh, Louisa Prouse. Uh, she is 
the size of a halfback. The kids call her the man lady because they're so in awe of how large she is. You know, they're well, not not giant size, but just she's basically picture a Nazi woman with you know, blonde <laughs> hair and a bun, even though she's 70 years old. You know, she colors it yellow. Okay. Makeup you can see from a football field away. Okay, she is one scary lady. Big booming voice, commanding. She despises Christianity and is out to try to disprove it. But hidden in her agenda is her father was one of the Nazi scientists who injected uh, prisoners of war with Nephilim serum. The angel traits skipped them, uh, did not flare in them, skipped their children, but uh, flared in their grandchildren. And that is Jeremy's, you know, my main character's generation and, and his uh, age group. Are the ones who had these powers bringing the Nazis uh, in there? Exactly, you know, because of their DNA experimentation and and some of the horrors that they did to prisoners in in, uh, Nazi war camps. So that's basically the. She secretly had also been injected by Nephilim DNA by her father when she was a little girl, and deep down inside, she wanted to gain angel powers that she sees in her own very granddaughter and in Mm. uh, Jeremy, my main character, and his friends. And deep down inside, she is desperately trying to gain those powers herself. So you can see that she is one thing to the world and another thing, reality, that the reader gets to know that her agenda actually is to become one of the most powerful women on earth by having these powers herself and by creating an army of people that, that she can uh, use to, 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 you know, basically um, try to control the world's thinking and, and, you know, have powers and all that kind of thing. So again, it's going to lead to some major, you know, again, uh, world wars. So you know, or potential right. wars. It sounds like uh, the villain there is sort of the way you described it is a typology of, the antichrist to me, it just sounds like exactly. the very, the very nature of Satan and uh, what he mm-hmm. wants to do uh, as far as, you know, being jealous and, and, you know, wanting to climb the ladder and becoming the, the main man, so to speak. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, the demons also, you know, there's a lot of theories out there that they are actually, or at least fallen angels and demons are actually jealous of humans because we bear the image of God and they don't. Um, exactly. they're just created exactly. beings and, and, <laughs> right. uh, and she has Jeremy's first, uh, demonic, uh, adversary is named Scrag, Uh, and he's, he's just this nasty kind of gorilla, big bat wings, you know, size of an ape, uh, uh, being, he's pictured on the cover of my book. If you'd like to take a look at him, but anyway, um, he gives, he feeds lies into, into Louisa Prowse's mind all the time. He's constantly kind of empowering her, and she doesn't even believe that he exists, or she says she doesn't believe that he exists to the world, even though she wants to be able to gain these powers for herself. Uh, so there's a little bit of the, uh, the Frank Peretti element there, too, that, that really behind all the evil are Satan's and, Satan and his minions. So, Right. right. Now, because... Um, the sort of the new age and the, uh, the H plus movement movement and the transhumanism and things like that. We do talk a lot about that here on the show. And one aspect um, of your book, which really struck me and I just don't think I can let it go considering the nature of our show here is um, a place called the higher humanity Institute. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Now tell us a little bit about that. I wanted to capture, well, to me, there was only one logical way to make the plot work. I had to get these kids together. And so I have Louisa Prowse create this school for them for the practical reason that they are being absolutely hounded by the world's media uh, a little bit. Again, in any fantasy, there isn't going to be any absolutely new plot out there. You have to wind up whether you want to or not copying a few things. And so uh, it, it winds up a little bit like X-Men where instead of like every other superhero story, these uh, kids with their powers have to try to keep themselves hidden and, and, and try to disguise what they do all their lives and have to try to succeed at that. Instead, I have them get discovered right away by the media. You know, um, my main character winds up having to fly for his life from a demon that he's attacked by in his uh, middle school hallways, and he has no choice but to fly. And he winds up making worldwide news being pictured flying, and that's happened to other kids like him who have these powers, that they become world famous and utterly surrounded, attacked, uh, you know, just basically mauled by the world media. So Louisa Prowse creates a, a place for them to get away, have a refuge where they can keep going to school, have some privacy, not be harassed by reporters. Um, but also she's using this place to indoctrinate these kids into believing that it's evolution that has given them their powers. Um, Mm. So she's using the HHI to control them. But also, I just wanted to do a little bit of a nod at the whole Harry Potter concept of people are so fascinated with these kids being able to come together at a school. And I wanted to pre create a wonderful twist that the HHI is not a wonderful, you know, fun refuge for these kids. It's actually the place where evil dwells. It's the place where, where Jeremy and his friends are going to have to fight for their lives. So, if that's making sense. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. That's um, yeah, I'm sure our listeners have um, a lot of different thoughts about all, a lot of what you've said here. Mm -hmm. one, one thing I would like to ask, just as far as moving forward, I don't know how much you've written of um of the next book or the this you know how much how many ideas you have concerning the the following books, but um, you know there is something that 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 the scripture talks about where I believe there's not a whole lot of discussion about it and. You know, we often talk about the hope of the return of Jesus and, and everything like that, but there is an inherent, um, there's a, a, a more tangible hope, and that's the resurrection of the dead in Christ. And, and mm -hmm. you know, in First in Corinthians, it talks about how, you know, Paul tells us that we are going to judge angels. And so there is this transformation that happens to our physical bodies, uh, you know, at the end uh, when the millennium uh, begins, or, you know, I guess some people have different points of view of what exactly the timeline is, but in effect, the resurrection of the dead uh, sort of culminates this idea that everyone's going to resurrect, but those in Christ are going to be able to dwell with God um, in, you know, the new Jerusalem in, in heaven, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and so there, there is this, this level of, you know, redemption, the ultimate redemption in the Christian gospel message is this idea that we are eternal mm -hmm. beings, that we are, once we are resurrected, we are going to actually be even higher than angels uh, mm -hmm. is that, is that something that you're toying with as far as a potential landing place for, you know, where the story might take you or have you considered it or? Oh, I absolutely have. I've, I've got the whole thing plotted out and I can't tell you okay. <laughs> because you're getting right on a major point that I'm working toward. But anyway, no, I, 
Jeremy yearns, yearns for heaven. Uh, the, the, the angel in him is absolutely thirsting to be able to, to, to be there, uh, and especially to worship the Lord and, and to see his face. Uh, so I'm not going to say any more than that. Because <laughs> I don't want to write the story. Right. Yes, oh, no, I've, I've plotted that all say. out, so... I'm just about asking questions because I don't want to ruin it for myself here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I will say that after hearing you talk about this, there there is a different um, tone, and I hope our audience and people who may have come, you know, come across your book or or maybe some uh, an outline of your book to to consider, you know, the things that you've said uh, here tonight. Um, to me, it almost seems like it's a, I guess you can call it a, a redemptive story within the you know totally yes Uh, like a double redemption type thing exactly and uh because that's what jesus that's the power of the blood of jesus is is is, he saves he came to save us and uh if there's any human being in in uh out there uh however much human being is in this person i believe the lord will save you know the the the, the human uh because that's what he came to do god so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him right. will not perish but have uh, everlasting life. And the other aspect of my book is I just wanted to be fun. You know, I, again, I know kids really well and I've written for so long. More than anything else, the book is fast paced, full of action, uh, and, you know, drama in it, but also just the whole thing of fun so that I have kids who've read it come up going, I love this. It's so much fun. It's just so cool. When you hear things like that as an author, you know, and, and also, but having them talk about how it touched their hearts and how it's so cool that Jeremy uh, meets Jesus and, and how the Lord turns him into a warrior. When you hear kids say that as a writer, that's one of the greatest things you can ever, when you know you've touched your audience for the Lord. And that's the whole purpose of this book. But more than anything else, have fun with it, guys and readers. Have fun. Just have fun. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> well, there you have it. There's her request to you guys, listeners out there. We're talking with Catherine Dahlstrom, the writer of the author of the book, Children of Angels, which just took an honorable mention uh, for the Hollywood Book Festival. So, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Guys, it was just great. I really enjoyed myself a whole lot. So, anyway. Where, can we, where can we find the book for people that are interested in reading it? it? Uh, I would love people to harass their local Christian bookstores to pieces over this. Uh, it's, it's available for any bookstore order and bring in. I want to see it on as many bookstore shelves as I can get. So if you go into your local bookstore and ask, they'll bring it in. And it doesn't even have to be a Christian bookstore. It's available through all the major distributors. And again, more and more stores are carrying it. It's also available on Amazon.com. My publisher, Wine Press Publishing, has its own online bookstore called Wine Press Books. Uh, and it's available through ChristianBooks.com, again, BarnesandNoble.com, any of the online bookstores have it available. Uh, so uh, search for the best deal. <laughs> I also do a lot of traveling around to book festivals and trade shows and things like that. So I would love to meet people. Uh, at book fests and sign the book for you or whatever other fantasy fanatic is in your life. Uh, you can't believe how many. Um, yes, I autograph tons of books for kids, but then I'll have uh, people going, I want this one. You know, some grandma going, no, autograph it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Do you have a blog or a website where people can get a hold of you directly? Mm-hmm. www.catherinedalstrom.com. Do you want me to spell it? <laughs> or, uh, 
anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in our links there. You'll put that on. Okay, thank you very much. You, you can also uh, locate it as www.childrenofangels.net. I wanted .com, but it wasn't available because some Hollywood studio has shelved that um, that particular URL for their use. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I'm finding this interesting. But anyway, uh, uh, but, uh, just my name will we'll get you to my website. So. All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening. And Catherine, one more time, Catherine Dahlstrom, thanks for coming on the show. You were so welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Great job, guys. Thanks. Well, what a pleasant lady she is. Yes. What a nice first experience for a female guest. Thank you, Catherine. Um, so what did you think, Gons? Uh, I thought it was a really good conversation. I'm glad we got to have her on because, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people when they first, you know, hear about the plot line, they immediately jump to the, you know, pointing the finger, you know, like, what are you doing? Right. You know, this, you know, cause it's, to me, even when I first, the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, the hero sounds like the antichrist that we kind of you know, have <laughs> thought up in our minds of, you know, there's going to be half Nephilim, half human type thing. And he's the hero and, you know, people love right. him and all this stuff. So, but you know, right. she did give her side of the, uh, her argument in her defense and in her defense, I would say, you know, it's great because what she's doing is right. reaching kids with this topic. Uh, however, it's really hard for me to completely uh, go there. there. I still have a little bit of reservation as far as, you know, having the, right. the hero of the book be a Nephilim. So I'm right. kind of having a, a, a schizophrenic experience over here. I'm, I'm going back and forth. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I feel the same way. You know, she's a great lady. She's got all of her ducks in a row, I think, when it comes to uh, her intentions and her heart and, uh, you know, all, all the way across the board, except for that one thing where it's very hard to come to terms with the, you know, the thought of a Nephilim being the good guy. And, you know, I, I get the, the good intentions and it's, and it's fantasy and it's things like that. But, you know, if, if it could potentially have the same sort of situation as with Harry Potter, where, you know, the kids come to look up to this Nephilim hero, you know, right, right, ultimate, right. ultimately Nephilims, just in the creation of their worldview, Nephilims become not as sinister as we are led to right. believe that they are biblically and just sort of a worldview creating situation that does make me a little uncomfortable. Right. It's sort of the, the ripple effect of what it might cause because, you know, on one hand it's like, you know, if, if more people are becoming aware, especially Christians and young Christians uh, are becoming aware of the topic of the Nephilim. Great. You know, because that's a topic that I don't think most people dive into. So on on one hand, it's like awesome, but there's that level of like exactly what you said. You know, like uh, what if someone who has no background theology or understanding about the Nephilim in the Bible, and they read this book and they sort of build their biblical theology from the book. You know, from right. even though even though like you said in the interview, you know, even though it's you know it's fiction you know it's fantasy there might be some who right. take it too far or take it as a literal thing and try to exactly. twist around the scriptures and you know come to their conclusions that could be you know that could cost a whole lot more than what you'd want to give up for that so right uh, well yeah. i mean it's just the whole dan brown thing you know it, yeah the da vinci code thing you know 
if you get some a little bit of truth in there mix in a little bit of uh non-truth like nephilim are you know good guys well i you know again i'm kind of back and forth too because i totally uh agree with the fact that you know the human part of uh jeremy her main character could totally you know whatever repent or be close with christ and uh be saved and everything like that you know right. so so it's a very inch some very interesting territory that she's treading on and it i I, I am very interested to take a look at the book because, um, like she said, you know, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to speak too much into a book that I haven't read yet. Yeah, me too. You know, I thought it was interesting also that she brought up the whole DNA thing, and it's still, you know, it's difficult for me to swallow the "Hey, I'm talking about DNA, and it's just make believe." I know she. Right. I know she means well. I really do. I think she was very genuine in you know sticking to the fiction, and and I really think that you know it was important for her to come on to a show like ours and and talk about her book. At the same time, I'm just you know because maybe it's because we're jaded you know a certain way with this stuff. But I'm looking at a, an article here called "Correcting Faulty DNA: Stronger Bodies, Smarter Minds, Longer Lives," and it's on the topic uh-huh. of ethical technology. And, you know, let me just read a little bit here. It says, what if you can improve your memory, become smarter and stronger and live in an ageless, disease-free body just by taking a pill? Though this may sound like the stuff of science fiction, experts are developing a better understanding of our genetic mysteries, including the powerful influence that DNA wields on our lives. It's becoming clear that cancer, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, and he goes on. And, And just this idea of, you know, where the science and technologies are taking us is this place of altering our DNA to become more extra human in the story. According to Catherine was, you know, I guess the, one of the the bullies or whatever was, it almost sounded like they were accusing Jeremy of being uh, a post human, you know, when he's saying, no, right. I'm just, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just half angel. You know, it's a very interesting right. take. I got to say it is very, it, it's making me do a uh, somersaults over here. <laughs> Yep. And I think it will for everybody. So, you know, I think we're just going to have to uh, take a look at the book and see what it says and uh, take it from there. And then maybe we can have a nice little follow up if, uh, you know, it turns out to be a little bit more controversial than she's making it out to be. Yep. So it's up to you once again to uh, the listener. Take a look, see, uh, maybe do some research, check out the book, and uh, actually let us know what you think. Maybe we can do a follow-up, leave us a voicemail message on the website. Thank you, a couple of you have done that. and uh, Or send us an email or something like that. And um, yeah, we'll talk about it some more. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. And until then, think outside the cage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on stumbleupon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening. 
And until next time, remember to think outside the cage. Yeah, I feel like you haven't read the book because I say that I'm a Muslim on this very second page. And so, um, you know, this whole point is a disaster. Just delete this whole thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just move on. Just... <laughs>